Greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Last week we had... Uh, a couple folks in talking about the same topic, I should say, but we're going to get a different viewpoint. In studio is Dave Leipholz. He's executive director of the Center for Civic Research and Innovation, which is an initiative of the St. Louis Community Foundation. And Hart Nelson, he's chief operating officer of St. Louis Community College and vice chancellor for workforce development. Welcome, gentlemen, to St. Louis in Tune. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. What we're here to talk about is a study that was done, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, you helped put this study together, and it's a study that discusses the technology in the metropolitan area. It's called the Digital Divide Report, and these gentlemen here are going to be talking about how that impacts K-12 through school districts in the area and also workforce development and things like that. Dave, give us a little overview for people who didn't hear the previous episode. And by the way, folks, that's on uh, the website, stlintune.com. You can catch that. So the digital divide is really not one single thing. A lot of people think of it in terms of infrastructure, but it's really a series of elements that allow us to get fully connected to the digital world. You look at Certainly infrastructure is a start. You need to have that so you can access it, but you also need to be able to afford it. You need to be able to afford the devices that allow you to utilize it. You need to have the digital literacy and skills to do so. And when we talk about the digital divide, it's really the intensity of those obstacles in certain areas. And we know that they're spread throughout the region, but they're certainly um, focused more heavily in certain parts of St. Louis City and County. And how long did it take for you to get all of that information together? And where did you get that information from so people can understand what the report is, you know, the essence of it? So the conversations around this really kicked in around the pandemic when folks started remote learning, working from home, trying to find ways to access health care from their house. And so we were part of those. But the actual effort, which we partnered with Ernst & Young EY to undertake with their expertise was about a six to seven month effort of really diving into the data and the information that's available. We were able to take publicly available information and strengthen it through some of the proprietary methods and, and data sources they have as a large national company that was wanting to invest in, in a program like this. Now, as you've done the portion of the K-12 section here, were you able to uh, also talk with school districts or communicate with them rather than just gather their data? We did. We were very focused on getting the baseline data. That was our primary focus of this report. So we didn't go school to school in any way, but we did have focus groups. We reached out to education leaders and really tried to identify is what we're seeing with the data lining up with what they're experiencing on the ground. And really that added another layer of quality assurance to it so that when we put the reports out there, it it really was battle tested. It reflected both the experience and the data, and I think gives us the firm foundation for those school leaders to really work together, if possible, to facilitate some solutions moving forward. 
So we're talking about these key components, folks, in defining what the digital divide is coverage. What's the coverage like for the internet or the access to the internet or through uh, broadband support? What kind of quality do I have? Because sometimes you lose connectivity. What is the service affordability like? How affordable are devices for households and how literate are individuals who are actually using these devices and what kind of mentoring can be done. So Hart, I want to turn to you a little bit because the business community, I'm going to, my words now, anxious or interested in kind of helping partner. And I want you to define what workforce development is for folks so they understand they may have multiple different kinds of understanding there. Absolutely. Workforce development, I guess I would say, so I represent a community college and why are we here? We're there so that we can get people a job. We're there to basically be available to the whole community to provide that education and training, but that usually isn't the end goal in itself, right? It's in fact, we appreciate that education is a pathway to economic stability. People come to us because they want to change careers, they want to get into a new career, they want to advance in their career, and then they want that job at the end of it. So workforce development really is for us to take a look as a college and say, what are those good jobs? Not living wage jobs. I don't really care for that term because I don't want to just end with someone at a living wage job. What are the good jobs that are going to be available in our region where there's going to be lots of opportunities at that high wage? And then how do we then create the programs that are to get someone into those quickly? We're a two-year institution. So within two years, you're going to have a certificate, a degree, short-term training, and then move into those jobs. Workforce development, I guess the last piece of that is making sure that when someone completes with us, that they're not just you know, walking out the door. When they walk across the stage and they throw their hat in the air, we don't consider our job to be done. Our job is done when they collect that first paycheck or maybe their 50th paycheck. And that's really what workforce development is about for us. So so how does the linkage work for workforce development with this study, the digital divide? Digital divide. It's one of the things that the community college does is bridge people to education through some of the challenges that they have. So you think about the fact that many of our students are fully Pell eligible, which means they come from low-income families. So they they lack things such as reliable transportation, childcare. In some cases, they have food or housing insecurity. And the community college has developed those support structures to say, all right, we can help you with those things. It's not successful in all cases, but we have those supports built in. Well, the same thing is a problem with the digital divide. This is, and we'll talk obviously a little bit about how COVID changed everything, but even before that, computers are important, technology is important for many of our programs. And we were able to bridge that and to provide that by just putting it on our campus. We have computer labs, they're staffed, we have Wi-Fi, it's available. And that worked when we were pre-COVID and all in person, and then suddenly everything changed. And so that was when the digital divide, which was there all along, but we had kind of hidden it. Um, or we had assumed that just because everyone has a smartphone, which isn't true, let's be clear, but many people do, but just because they had that, that there wasn't a digital divide. And then we discovered very quickly, or rediscovered, I guess I would say, that's just not the case. Now, what kind of questions do you get about the study specifically? What's next? But I think that's a good sign. Okay, hang on. I want to put that one at the end so we leave people with what's next and what you need to do, okay? So not to grab that out of your mouth, but... (laughs) No, I I was just going to say that I I think it, it touches on what Hart was saying, which is we had a portion of our community that really felt the digital divide deeply pre-pandemic. And get into that a little bit more. Guys. He, he discussed that, but people don't understand. Like, I got my phone. Kids can do a paper because I, I know my wife's a teacher. I used to be in education. And she said, yeah, we do have kids that are doing this, doing a paper on their phone. 
Yeah. Taking and tests. Taking tests. Yeah. So yeah. keep going with that. And and we know that that's not ideal for mm-hmm. the learning. We need we need better devices. Mm-hmm. We have 150,000 households in St. Louis City and County alone that really struggle to stay on affordable high-speed broadband that allows for people to do Zooms, to do virtual learning, that have that quality. And then you talk about devices. We know there's you know nine, another 90,000 households that really struggle with adequate devices, like you're saying. A telephone isn't how we want the students to really engage with learning. It can get you through a pandemic if need be, not with the results that we want. I think that is what really drove a response of what's next, because we had that community who has really been struggling and feeling the effects of this pre-pandemic. What we had during the pandemic was even people with means felt what it was like, and it opened their imagination to what portions of their community are dealing with, because it's almost two different worlds, and it's really hard to imagine um, when your experiences pick up your phone, you use your laptop, you stream TV, it's hard to imagine going home and not being able to do homework or not being able to do telehealth because you just don't have the basics. And so I think that the pandemic presented an opportunity through a very terrible situation, but it did open the broader community's eyes to what a portion of it has been living with for a long time. Yeah. So if you have three kids and they're all of school age and they're all trying to do homework and maybe there's one device and when am I, when's my session that I get to get in there and get to do this. And a lot of the pandemic um, response was entities doing their best. Everybody, I think Mm -hmm. we actually did a really amazing job as a region of programming our way, but that's not a long-term sustainable way to address a systemic problem. And so now the question turns to how do we address those systems that were causing those failures? And you were talking about school districts. These are low-income areas that had three or more barriers, which three or more of these components would be missing. And we're talking about some school districts really up North County, North City, like Normandy Jennings, Riverview Gardens, St. Louis Public Schools, and also Rittner to some degree in in some of that vulnerable student populations. Has there been communication with superintendents there, boards of education, community members about this report and what their feedback is from them? Yeah, we've been briefing more and more in the education community because that's where folks have, I think, felt it the, the most. We certainly had conversations with school leaders before finalizing the report as well. And I think that they see an opportunity as well, but I also, they've been dealing with this for a really, really long time. So I, I think that relief can't come quick enough when you're talking about almost it's 40, even up to 50% of those school districts' populations need some sort of subsidy to be able to connect to high-speed broadband because they don't have the level that they need at an affordable price. And so they can't do the virtual learning. And we know that those communities are already struggling the most because they have the least resources, least investment. Can I touch on that a little bit as well? Absolutely. Thinking about the surge that happened, right? So COVID happened, it changed everything. And there was a surge in resources. There was a surge in effort and energy. And just looking at the college as a case study, federal funding came in. We also had partners that were saying, hey, we will open up free Wi-Fi spots. We will send out hotspots. And this happened for a period of time because it was a brave new world. And, and it was, we have to immediately address the existing digital divide because there's no other opportunity. We couldn't bridge, as I said, on campus because everyone was remote. And that surge was useful. At the college, we distributed about 750 laptops to students. We had to figure out how to provision those, get them out the door. We did hotspots. We did all of that. 
our help desk went to 24-7 because people needed that 24-7. And it was interesting thinking about the layers that you had mentioned earlier between device and the broadband accessibility, but also the training. Our average call from our help desk went from about two to four minutes, that's your password reset, to about 25 to 40 minutes because they're walking someone through how to write a paper, do a test online. But my point with this is the surge ended, right? That's the reality that we are in now was there was a lot of resources put forward But those partners who had provided that free Wi-Fi, well, they're not doing that anymore. The federal funding has stopped flowing. And so that ability to surge laptops and get those into people's hands, that's fading away. And COVID may be changing, and we're not in the situation that we were a year ago, but that hasn't solved the digital divide, just that one-time surge. And so I think that's what we're dealing with is thinking about this isn't a snapback. It's not going back to where we were. And we also recognize Uh, some of these new modalities, and we talk about those in a bit, of course, of new education modalities, but simple things like our nursing students who didn't really leave even during COVID because it is a very practical and hands-on instruction. The the curriculum and and the pedagogy is is very much hands-on, but they still have to take your general education classes, and they want to do that using the laptop technology and being able to do it remotely. And so it was one of those things where we realized it wasn't an all or nothing, and it's going to continue as we go forward. The pandemic has presented an opportunity for education in general to really step back and look at how it's how learning is delivered. And I can see with the nursing students that, wow, we're just going to do labs and we'll meet. Or you even look at business right now where businesses are going, hey, we're going to meet like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or we're going to go on rotating shifts. You all don't have to be here five days a week, and you know, which presents other problems with buildings. But at the same time, do we go back and do we beat our head against the wall and now wait for the next pandemic or whatever is going to happen to be back? And now here we are again. Now what are we going to do that we haven't solved that? I, I have seen this for over the course of time that we are not smart enough to do those kinds of things. So my question is, have either of you had conversations with Ed Plus, the old CSD group, Metropolitan School Districts, who all meet together and discuss these things? Have you approached them about with this report and what are their thoughts? They meet monthly anyway, and they have a lot of this underhand anyway. We've talked primarily to individual school districts at this point. Mm -hmm. I think that Ed Plus continues to come up, though, in terms of the next phase, which is the solution development, because they do convene a a broader portion of the region. I think that schools get it, and I certainly know the Community Foundation, the Regional Business Council, some of our other sponsors and funders of this get it, too, is that this impacts everyone, our Mm -hmm. entire region. And you talked about the four or five school districts where it's really focused but that's our region too. And when we, when I hear people complaining, we need to draw a larger population to St. Louis. We need to train and retain the people we have here now, right? Because that's how, when you go downtown, you're going to see businesses really bustling. There's a lot of efforts focused on that, strengthening our region in that way. And I, I think this is something that would support that because these aren't people that live in a vacuum. They're St. Louisans just like we are, and they're our greatest resource. And that's what when you see other regions thriving they're retaining they're also attracting yes but so i think that the worst thing that somebody could take away from this is that this just impacts part of the region and so groups like ed plus groups like the city and the county library working together all that collaboration is really important because as we saw this is it's more it's acute in certain portions of our region but 50 percent of st louis city and county residents live in a, in a neighborhood in a part of this region that is meaningfully impacted by the digital divide 
So it, it's not somebody else's problem. Yeah. Go ahead. If I could, you'd asked earlier about workforce development. Dave makes a really good point that relates to workforce development, which is we have 60 people right now looking for work for every 100 open jobs in our region. And that is wow. a flip that has been for a few years now, but it hasn't existed for very long. That again, we only have six people for every 10 jobs. That's difficult as a employer to figure out where am I going to find the folks to do the work that I need to do, which is why you see so many help wanted signs and you see some of those challenges there. To Dave's point, we're not going to be successful unless we're bringing people in who may not currently be in the workforce and may have been left behind. And that's something that we do at the College of State of the St. Louis Workforce Report. That's one of the things we focus on is really recognizing that we have to be more inclusive when we have, I tell employers, you have to look for the folks who are here and help bridge them into the employment. One of the things that we've seen, just thinking another way about the digital divide, we ask for what are some of the basic, the biggest barriers when, as an employer, what are the barriers you're seeing with the applicants that you have? A lot of times we see things like work ethic, they're not showing up, soft skills. But we also see that there's been a shift over time in about the last five to 10 years when we ask, what are the skills that you're looking for? Microsoft Office, Microsoft Word, email, those used to be specialized skills, and they're no longer there. They're in the general skills category. These are the assumptions that you're going to have this. And it gets back to the fact of that's not the case for many people because you don't learn how to do that on a smartphone. Correct. You don't learn how to use a normal email application or be in an office or business environment on a smartphone. And so I think that's another factor that we in workforce development have to work on. Those are great points. And we're going to uh, take a break here in a moment, but I'd, I'd like to, after our break, talk about uh, digital literacy curriculum. And some of that's been going on for a long, long time, discussions about that. I want to talk about some partnerships with some business groups, and then we'll get back to that question that I asked that you responded so well with. What's the common theme that you hear when you talk to people about this report? And we'll get into that. What do we do next? We'll be right back for our next segment. You're listening to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston on the U.S. Radio Network. St. Louis in Tune strives to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories and interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. Our topics cover a wide range such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and even sports. And that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we connect to what is going on nationally as well. If you enjoy what you hear, please take time and share and subscribe to this show and listen to other previous shows that can be found on our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. Or on your favorite podcast platform. That's stlintune.com. stlintune.com. And if you've got an idea that you'd like for us to examine a little deeper, let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis in Tune, heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. We want to hear from you, stlintune.com. Welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're talking to Dave Leipholz. He's executive director of the Center for Civic Research and Innovation, which is an initiative of the St. Louis Community Foundation. 
Give STL Day coming up, folks, so don't forget about that. And also Hart Nelson, he's Chief Operating Officer of St. Louis Community College and Vice Chancellor for Workforce Development. We've been talking about the Digital Divide study, which was done, and last week we had talked with uh, some folks about that, so you could check that out on stlintune.com. It's called the Digital Divide Part 1. And Digital Literacy Curriculum. When I think back of taking typing in high school at University City High School, plug for the old alma mater, you were really lucky if you got to use one of the electrics. We generally learned on the manual. When computers came about, there was this thought process in education, well, do we teach quote-unquote typing skills or keyboarding? Okay, we can do that. And then it seems to have gone out of vogue. And I know, Hart, you were mentioning using two thumbs is a lot different than using all 10 fingers on the keyboard. So a couple questions for both of you, and you can go back and forth however you want to do this. On a digital literacy curriculum, what should it have? What should it not have? And what kind of new learning methodology should it implore? I think that to the point of two fingers are not 10, it was a surprise to me. And, and I will, you were an educator and in, in the community for many years, I'm not. I'm a workforce development person. And so when I take a look at some of these weird assumptions, such as, but I did work in technology. That was something I worked in technology for about 10 years. These assumptions of if you know how to use a smartphone, you're going to be able to sit down at a computer and be successful. I get maybe it's 10, 10, you know, 10 key and touch typing. That's not it's the fact of you don't know how to use an operating system. You don't know how to open up applications because you're used to just being able to point at them. One of the things we run into is people not knowing how to save a file. So you write your report and being able to actually know how to save that. This is a skill that someone could be a whiz with their smartphone if they have that. But they won't be able to actually do some of those basic skills that are required to be in the workforce or in higher education or even in in K-12. That's something that really is a challenge of having to go back. And as I talked about earlier, those bridging supports that we provide, we have to go back and provide those supports to say, here's how you do that. We offer classes, of course, but it is something where sometimes it isn't a class. It just has to be a sidecar to the work that's being done. And it becomes more important just thinking about the methodologies. As I said, we're not going to snap back to pre-COVID. COVID. We are associated by, or sorry, our vice chancellor for academic affairs said, hey, we're college. Hopefully we've learned something from this pandemic, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, part of that is is a new technology we're using called HyFlex. And so this is the idea where you're in the classroom and you're the professor and you're teaching and you're going to have in-class students because a lot of our students have told us we prefer in-class methodology. That's what we want to be. We want to have that college experience. We want to be there with our colleague or with our fellow classmates. And so there is going to be that experience. But you also are going to have students who, because because they're remote, that for them, maybe synchronous online is the answer, or possibly even asynchronous, that they just need to be able to do it late at night because they've got family responsibilities, whatever. And to be able to have all three of those modalities supported at the same time is important. And that's where we're talking about high flex, we're ta- which is what those classrooms are called, where you can actually see, as a student, online, you'll be able to see your classmates there. And you can raise your hand, and the instructor will see that. So all of that telepresence is there. So why does that matter to the digital divide? That takes bandwidth. That isn't just something that you can do on a smartphone because it's not going to have the same visibility. You can't look at that little screen. It's going to eat up your minutes. It's going to eat up your data bandwidth in a flash because that's really a lot of data that's being pumped out there. And it's a much better learning experience if you can take advantage of it and if it isn't dropping all of the time. 
Uh, and so getting back to that's another piece of that digital literacy is understanding how to use those applications because it's going to make your educational experience that much stronger, our completion rate. This is something that as a college we want our folks to begin. They want our students to complete, get their degree, get their certificate, and move on to that job we talked about earlier. But if they don't have the digital literacy and they don't have all of the other supports that we've been talking about to be able to take advantage of this, then they may not get there. Do they have a class that, or like an assessment, hey, you can take this assessment, if you pass this, you don't have to go to basic you know, computer literacy, like how to save a file, et cetera, like that? They do, and it's primarily focused, for example, for our IT, folks that are coming into our IT programs. Mm -hmm. Now, is it available to other students? It is. It's one of those things where if you're going into web development or to coding, right. they need to make sure that you have that experience and those that familiarity. And so that's where that assessment is done. But is it as consistent? I don't believe so. And I think that's something where, you know, that's something that is going to be key going forward. Okay. Dave, what are your thoughts on that? Now, I think it's especially important that entities like the community college system is stepping up and into this role because right now what we're seeing is if you had resources before the pandemic now you have even more because there's been a lot of innovations and you can access and afford those you can get enrichment materials online you can but if you still don't have the resources there's the potential for those gaps that were between the haves and the have-nots to actually Greater. accelerate mm -hmm. more quickly and so it's an urgent issue and for the community college Trust is also huge when you get to technology, and so for them to play this role, to step up and do that, I think is really significant for our region. There's a lot of a lot to chew on in these reports, you know, to, just to think about. I, I try to think of questions that people might ask, and I, I think also, of, and I mentioned this last week, pushback. Has there been any pushback from anybody? Well, this isn't going to happen, or but I know there's money out there, mm -hmm. so. Have you gotten any pushback? I think there's always pushback when you talk about systems change and reform and, and having, because there is a scarcity mentality around infrastructure improvements and all the things we need. But what we're optimistic about this moment in time is the historical investment that's available right now. And so we can do a lot of yes and instead of deciding. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important. I think it's important for folks to understand that if you're a pull yourself up by the bootstraps type person, if you're, no matter how you come to this, these are the bootstraps. We need, we need to give people the tools to be able to get educated, to be able to you know how anyone would apply for a job, quite frankly, without being able to go online or have some tech ability. So we need, we've had the internet go from something that was nice to have to an absolute necessity in just the span of a couple decades. And it's really changed how every component of the world works. And we need to address that and treat it as something that's needed for people to really advance, to have a living wage, to have a quality job and have a quality education. And briefly go into about the funding that's available and let's ease in now to what are the next steps? Sure. So there's a few different buckets of federal funding. It's, it's probably easiest to start there because that's what everybody tends to focus on. There's the CARES Act, the ARPA funding, which is still working its way through the system regionally and came to local governments. So the city and the county got a certain share, and that's here. Then there's the IIJA, which is everybody knows as the infrastructure bill, but it also has the largest pool of funding for equitable internet access and education that's ever come out. And that goes through the state. So you need to have the data 
which is why this is important to develop plans to deploy those resources as well and to really make your case to the state and the federal government for additional resources that are out there and available. Once you get past that and, and knowing that some of this funding may be a one-time infusion, it's how do you leverage that to change the infrastructure landscape, to, to utilize it in a way that spurs, whether it's digital literacy, whether it's devices. Then how do you also put around that some more sustainable systems for the long term, whether that's through the county library, through school districts, through existing entities? Because I think that it all comes back to trust and especially when you look at digital literacy being a huge issue for seniors and secure, the libraries are a trusted entity. They can play a huge role in that. School districts for families can. So I would argue we have the systems in place, like the community colleges. We just need to work with them to infuse funding, change the landscape, and then figure out what are the sustainable ways that, that we can change this because I think that's going to change the demographics and, and those numbers that we see because people are going to be able to get quality jobs and better educated and mm-hmm. not need the subsidies over the long term. Mm-hmm. And for our point or our role as one of those trusted entities, you talked about pushback. For us, my fear is snapback, right? Again, it's the, hey, let's just revert back to what we did before mm-hmm. and we'll just have everyone on campus and we can provide those supports there. That's not the answer. It's not the future. It's not going to be successful. We have different ways to solve that, such as uh, many higher ed institutions do. Everyone has to have a laptop when they come to St. Louis Community College. We can't do that because our students, for them, some students buying a laptop is like buying something of a million dollars. They just don't have the ability to do it. And our goal is to keep that education at the lowest cost possible. And so we have to find other solutions to make sure that we don't have, as was you were talking about earlier, that K-shaped recovery where you have the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. It's going to be required. And so that's really what we're looking for is how can we be part of that solution because we do have a role. We know that it's needed. We want to go forward with these new teaching methodologies because it's what our students want and it's what they're going to need to be using in the workforce. And so for us to be part of that larger movement is crucial. And we have an opportunity, which was mentioned last week, to really be a leader nationally. But nationally, this has happened to a smaller degree in Chicago and also Las Vegas. Can you touch on that a little bit? We're certainly not an outlier in the digital divide issues we see. There, the issue has been that it's an expensive system, I and mean, it's something that really operates as a utility but has been um, treated you know, as, as a private sector entity. And so we've seen systemically a lot of the same problems across the country. What I would say is there's also not a lot of regions that are knocking it out of the park because what was really needed was this infusion. And I think why the federal government's taking this opportunity to whether it's rural broadband, which is also needed. This is an issue that I think has a lot more to do with rural urban than it does, uh, than most people are used to. And there's a lot of common threat digital literacy devices in rural Missouri as well. But there's only a few regions that have really been able to take action and drive forward solutions. Charlotte's certainly one of them. But the common thread in those regions is they're all booming. And so they've had this influx of revenue. And so the investment really is the key. And so that reemphasizes that now is the time for us to come together to be innovative and, and to really wrap our arms around this and not be scared to tackle a really huge problem, but we have to get started on it. Do we have the will to do this? I think so. I think that this is one of those issues that can be unifying if, if we go about it the right way. I think there's going to be enough funding flowing throughout the country that everybody's going to think they're doing a good job for a little bit of time. And it's going to be, can we build the systems to sustain a new infrastructure, a new necessity for our students, for 
seniors, which is a, a huge um, contingent that's impacted by this. And getting greater every day. Right. One thing that's interesting, too, is pain can be a motivator. And I mean pain in this way. You had mentioned earlier about the employers in the area. Again, with six jobs, or sorry, six people looking for work for every 10 jobs, they really need to get more people in the door. They are looking for employees. And so there is some motivation to say, how do we then get better qualified folks who are, as Dave said earlier, in our region already? And so I think that the will to make this change the longer that trend continues where the, there is more jobs open, I think that more employers are willing to step up and help bridge that gap, put some resources towards this solution as well. And Which is interesting because when I read the report, I thought about the Jennings School District and the linkage that Art McCoy had with businesses and how he helped seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen get a focus for beyond high school and really get into the business community and businesses really linked up with them. Do you see businesses reaching out or coming and saying, hey, I read this report or wow, I wasn't aware of that. What can we do to help? Have you seen that? And how many, or is it like just a, a scattering or, because I would think that, wow, if I've got this pool, I need to go looking for people and I need to be offering what we can do to help. It's increasingly common, and we're absolutely seeing employers who are stepping up saying, all right, we need to start earlier, and that's really it. It's going downstream, right? So this becomes not too much of economics, but it's is it a supply problem or a demand problem? Well, mm-hmm. now it's a supply issue. Right. We don't have, And so employers are taking a look and saying, all right, we are not going to just wait until people walk out of, of your doors, St. Louis Community College or UMSL or WashU. We need to make sure that we're going down into the K-12 programs and starting to talk about these skills that are going to be needed right. so that there is no doubt by the time they hit your doors that they're either already going to have that training, they're already going to have that digital literacy, that they're going to be aware that this is what's going to be needed of them regardless of what their career field is, and that those programs exist within your institution. So I think that that is getting increasingly clear, absolutely. Okay, wow. Community anchors. Mm-hmm. We've talked about libraries before, but also there's like Boys and Girls Clubs, YMCAs, obviously the community college. There are, I, w- I would think, some faith-based organizations would want to get involved with this. Are there some other groups that we haven't mentioned, and how ha- can they help? Yeah, I, I think that for all the work that was done on this and all the different regions we looked at, we saw different. We mentioned trust a bunch of times, but that's key. We have to have schools, libraries, but also the wise, the Boys and Girls Clubs. We have organizations stepping up, the Community Foundation, Regional Business Council, MFH, all saw value in this because it impacts everybody in so many different ways. And so I think you can't have just one group working on it. So the libraries can fill a role when it comes to devices and digital literacy, I think, is, is a huge component. You have other groups that may be able to work directly with different populations, seniors, for example, on digital literacy. And so what we looked at around the country was really Chicago did this with their YMCAs, and they created labs that people could go to after hours at schools because the parents needed help to support their kids when it came to homework and other issues. We um, also found there was YMCAs that were projecting out Wi-Fi in areas around their sites, also within it, creating spaces that were both safe. And I certainly think that we don't want to waste too much energy and, and too many resources reinventing systems. Right. Because this is an issue that spreads across them all. So let's use what we have in place, strengthen them, give them additional resources, empower them, and see where we can get. Because I, I think that if you try and compartmentalize this away from 
community organizations away from schools. You're just creating another uh, layer. Right. And I would second that. I think that that's something, and I mentioned we were shipping laptops out the door. That's not the strength of St. Louis Community College. We're educators. And so for us to be able to partner with those organizations who have figured out how to do this and are, and many libraries being another example, but also the K-12s that are just better located because they are more dispersed, that's really a great opportunity. I was also thinking just we, a lot of this triggered via because of COVID, but there were kind of community groups coming together. The community colleges would meet talking about, hey, how are you responding to this pandemic? What are some of those best practices? And I think that you know, another don't let it go to waste of we need to keep those going, hopefully not to deal with a pandemic, but how are you dealing with the digital divide and looking at our peers? I'm not a believer that everything has to be invented within my own four walls, right? And so if there are good ideas on how others are tackling this, you know, Dave said people, there isn't maybe a region who's knocking it out of the park, but there may be some of our peers that are doing a, a better job. And I'd like to be able to take those and say, let's pilot that, see if it works here. And again, not create something from scratch or duplicate an effort that's being done elsewhere. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Uh, STLDigitalDivide.org, that's the website, STLDigitalDivide.org. And you can get the full reports on K-12 education and just the general report. It's uh, a lot to soak up. There are some summaries there. There are eight pages, unless you want to go through the 62 pages of the PowerPoint. of the. <laughs> but it's uh, really good information, folks. Be educated about it. And as we discussed last week, you need to get the word out. Talk to people. Talk to your the group that you meet with when you get together for dinner. Talk to your kids. Ask them questions about this when you get together in a neighborhood or some kind of function. It's good to share this information. Direct them to the website. Guys, I really appreciate your time today. It's uh, very important. Let's get back together and see what progress is uh, in the next few months, okay? Thanks for having us. Really thank you. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.